Scripture reading this morning will be from Ephesians chapter 6, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. to get to be before you today to um, dig into the Word of God and, and to bring you a lesson, something that I, am, I have prayed that I deliver well because it is um, a wonderful blessing to have studied. And thank you, Jonah, and, and for that scripture reading. And thank you for, to Dylan for that song leading. He really hit so many of the things that I was going to say very well with those songs Hopefully our, our hearts are prepared by his songs for, for what we're going to look at. It's a wonderful thing to recognize that the word of God is, you know, that, that the understanding and the feelings are meant to go hand in hand so well together. So having said that, we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 6. And last quarter I got to teach a Bible class on Ephesians, and it was wonderful. I mean, I, 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 let me say, it was wonderful for me. <laughs> I really enjoyed the teaching of it, and I enjoyed getting into that book, and, and we didn't really get to get to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and so, in a way, this is a bit of a conclusion to that, but it is also something that just it stands alone very well as, a, as something that we need to remember as those who are trying to serve God. But we're going to take a moment and look at the context of this reading because we, we have an idea of this, this armor of God, but let's take a moment and, and look at that context of what he's talking about. When we looked in Ephesians, we saw that verse 1 through 3, uh, chapters 1 through 3, discussed God's power. And they discussed his purpose for us as Christians. It discussed who we are uh, or what he has done for us. It also spent a lot of time talking about uh, our position. And our position was in Christ. And what we're going to see is that position is going to be challenged. That position is something that we need to stand firm in. In the beginning, in the, the, the beginning of this reading in chapter uh, 6 and verse 10, it said, Finally, my brethren, with these words, Paul begins to draw his epistle to his close. And he wants to help them to understand everything that we have said before this comes to this moment. He talked about what God has done for us, and then in, in chapters 4 and 5, he talked about walking worthy of what has been done for you. It's kind of a cart and a horse thing, you know. He has done this, therefore you do this. It is not that in any way we can earn what was done for us, yet because of this, 
do this, be this, and he paints this picture towards what we can be. So in light of all of that, remember this. And we look at that in light of all that God has done for you, in light of the glorious things that you have, these wealth and treasures that you have as a child of God, in light of the great plan that he had from ages, from before time began for your salvation, in light of the plan of Christian maturity and growth and sanctification and hope that he gave you, in light of the conduct that he called you to live in, in light of the spirit that he wishes to fill you with, in light of all of that, be aware of this. Be strong in the Lord and the, and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We're going to come to this reading a few times, but it's repeated over and over again that we are to stand firm. And, and that is our calling, and that is what our, our lesson is, is going to be about. Um, I've got, got one slide which says to stand firm. That is what we are going to focus on. Because having earned, not, not earned, but having received such a great gift, we now have to stand firm in our position, which is in Christ Jesus. And he used the picture of a warrior very intentionally. There's a lot of different portraits for who we are supposed to be as, as Christians, the athlete, the farmer, the, the fisherman. But Paul, when he, he talked to Timothy, he described us as soldiers. And here in Ephesians, he describes us as soldiers. And you can't help but notice what that is about. And that is about what is on the line. To a soldier, everything is on the line. It is a life and death thing. It is something that we need to be aware of, that our life, our eternal life, is on the line. That everything that's been good that we've been given, including our salvation, is on the line if we don't stand firm. We've been given this glorious gift. So let us stand firm. We need to recognize that, that we are at battle every day. And that is a challenging thing because it's easy to be distracted. It's easy to be pulled away. It's easy to, to not notice or, or to be aware of the fact that the devil is seeking us. But the good news is in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Our victory is assured if we are willing to stand firm. And as he describes this battle, the battle, the war, has been won by Christ. We know that. That's, that's the big point, really, in many ways, of, of most of Revelation, is that Christ wins the war. But we need to make sure that we survive. So that's what we're going to look at here in a little more detail. We need to first notice the source of this strength. In verse 10 it said, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The source of the strength is, is a very important thing. It's easy to sometimes think that we are strong. It's easy for us to think that we are capable and that we stand on our own two feet because of what we can do. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, it says, Christ speaking to Paul, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's something that as you mature as a Christian, you realize that 
the opportunities for God to show his goodness and his strength are in those moments when you are willing to surrender your will and your strength to him. And let's look at that. He says, it says that to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might or in the power of his might. And the idea of power is the exercise of strength. And in the strength, in the power of his might, imagine what might we are talking about drawing on here. We are talking about the might of God himself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's the first thing is recognizing that, that his power is there. His power is, is for us. And it's been promised a number of times in this epistle. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? In chapter 3, verse 16, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And in verse 20 of chapter 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. It calls us to be strong, to not stand in our own strength. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, it explained very well that we stand in the grace that he has given us. That we were dead, that we were lost, that we were incapable, but then he extended grace to us. We don't stand on the law. We stand on his grace and therefore act accordingly. But it's wonderful to know that, that he wants to lend us his strength and his power. But it also tells us to, we need to embrace that. We need to grow in that strength. We need to not be lackadaisical. You know, um, before they receive their armor, it is, we must be strong. And, and we, we see that in the military. The first thing they do is, is basic training, which a lot of that is, the training of, of their mind towards obedience and that sort of thing, but also the, the training of their body. And then they go on to learn their job after they've, they've completed that, that basic training. And we need to, to remember that we need to be strong because if you're going to put on the armor of God, you need to be able to be prepared for it. The thing that we also need to understand is that there is a need for this armor. There is a need for this strength because we need to look at who it is that is after us. It is so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against the flesh and the blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So what are, we, what are we talking about here with, with the devil? We need to, to not be ignorant of his devices. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So the first key to standing firm against the devil is understanding that he is there, that he is present. We cannot be ignorant of him. We should not be surprised. That as Christians, we are soldiers. Does a soldier go onto the battlefield and surprise when there is an enemy on the other side of it? It's not. His mind is ready. And we need to have our mind ready. We need to expect that we are at war. If we expect it, we will not be ambushed. We will not be surprised. And, and I have found myself 
surprised a number of times, being surprised even lately at the attacks of the devil, at him wanting to discourage us, at, at him wanting to distract us, at him wanting to pull us away, and being surprised by it, not remembering that this is what we are about, this is what we signed up for, and he wants to tear us away. But I would say think about that for a moment also because if, Christ, if God was willing to do what he did for us, to make a plan from before time began that we might call him Father, and that the devil is so willing to do what he does, it is his one focus to tear our soul away. Let's think about the value of our soul for a moment. It's easy to think of it as an intangible thing or something that is uh, something that we are not, we don't get to, to feel the, the, the asset or the strength of it every day, but it is where our, our focus should be. Where is our soul headed? That is our, our, our daily idea. So we need to expect it. We need to expect the attack. We need to embrace that that attack is going to happen. We need to understand that it is going to be there. And then we need to recognize that as Christians, we can exceed that attack. We can overcome that attack. We have been given all the tools that we need to do so. And that that is what we're going to look at. So how does he do that? What are some of the tools that he likes to use? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and to the doctrine of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from food, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The devil likes to use false teaching. He likes to use apostasy, false doctrine. He likes to... Take that which is good and sprinkle in a little bit of that which is wrong. A little bit of a lie can spoil a lot of the truth. And he knows that. So how do we overcome that? We overcome that by, by knowing the truth, by knowing the word, by standing up for the truth. He also likes to entice people to indulge in who they were before. That old man. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It's easy to go back to old habits. It's easy to go back to old comforts. It's easy to go back to old mindsets. Those things that we felt like, on one hand, the desires, the things that, that um, drew us into sin, but also those ideas that we, we put our faith in before we are able to put our faith into God and, and to go back to those idols. Just as the Israelites left Egypt, we can go back to those gods just like they tried to do. To think, um, I can rely on myself, I can rely on money, I can rely on family, I can rely on my own understanding, I can rely on the law, I can rely on these, these, these ideas that are not correct. And I can go back to these old sins. He has always wanted to work by enticing people with the desires of the, the flesh and the mind. We see that certainly in, in the Garden of Eden and on down. But we also see that he 
brings persecution on those who try to do right. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Be aware. He is a roaring lion, and a lion is not after a, a snack. A lion wants to take everything that you have and devour you. But it also says to resist him and be steadfast, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by all the brotherhood in the world. And this is, this is part of our hope, that we are not, it's not just you versus the devil. It's not even you and God versus the devil. It is you and God and your brothers and sisters in Christ against the devil. If we are willing to lock arms, to lock shields, and, and to, to resist what he would have against us. We need to understand that, that only with the Lord's help can we overcome the wicked one. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. That's what he wants to do. He wants to establish you, give you a firm foundation so that you can uh, overcome the evil one. I also want to, one more verse on this is, is the way that the devil is described in Revelation chapter 12, I think is very powerful and interesting. In, in chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and his heads were seven diadems. Without going into all the symbology there, it says that he is powerful, he is capable, and he has great strength. And if any one of us saw a giant red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on those heads, uh, we would not challenge that dragon ourselves. We would look for help. And we are meant to look for help to God and to each other. The devil loves for us to feel like we're alone in this world. He loves for us to feel like we're in this fight by ourselves. But God didn't tell us to follow after Christ alone. He gave us the church. He gave us these tools so that we would have uh, the ability to stand firm. So that, again, that is what our focus is on. But I want to remind us that source of our strength and then the need for that strength as we stand firm because he is after us. So let us please be aware. But let's look at the nature of the strength that he gives us. In chapter 14 of Ephesians chapter 6, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints." It's, an, it's important to understand here that he says that this is the whole armor of God. This is what you need. He didn't give you a partial um, gift. This, this word here, actually the whole armor, is the same thing that's translated as panoply. So when we, we sang uh, earlier, uh, but to take to arm you for the fight, the panoply of God, this is precisely what it's referring to. The full armament of God. Take to arm you for the fight, 
the panoply of God. So that you'll be able to stand against the wiles. So you'll be able to stand in the evil day. So he has given you the gift, the full armor. He has given you no lacking, no piece is missing. But you have to take it, you have to put it on, and you have to use it. Every element that Paul now describes is essential to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We don't want to leave any piece open. We don't want to leave ourselves in any way exposed. The first thing that he mentions is truth, which serves like a belt. This is, these things are very, you, you read through these, uh, these armament, and on one hand it is so simple, and on the other hand it is, it is so rich, and I it was very tempted to do an exhaustive deep dive into each one of these things here, but, but each one of these pieces really could stand alone as a sermon. So we're going to touch on an element of each. But understand as well that sometimes these things we can make very complicated and, and very rich and we can dive deeply into to our understanding of them and that is good. But also these things are meant to be understood simply for what they are. A belt of truth. A belt of truth holds our life together with a sense of, of direction, with a sense of purpose. And it's also to understand that, that the opposite of truth is, is a lie. And a lie is a compromise. It is not just a compromise towards the person that you tell the lie. It is a compromise of yourself. It is a compromise of, of you are, of, of what you are. Whenever you tell a lie, you give your power away. You say that whatever the truth is, it's not good enough. I'm not good enough or, or God is not good enough. You're trying to uh, avoid a consequence or you're trying to get something that you haven't deserved. And a lie is something that is the tool of the devil. The devil loves lies. He loves to interrupt the proper and natural flow of things. The truth is an understanding of, of what is right and it is what is good. And someone who is a follower of God, a follower of Christ, want to accept the consequences for, for their misbehaviors because they know that the price has been paid. And they don't want to take anything that they have not earned because that is something that uh, you know, to, to, that is an advantage, that is something that is not uh, of the treasure of God. Because God has given us everything that we do need, and we earned none of it. And none of that is earned with a lie. The truth holds us fast. It holds us true. It holds us firm. And this belt binds things, and it puts these things together. That is something that is something that we can understand. But it also, looking a little more into scripture for this understanding of the truth, John chapter 8 verse 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendant, and have never yet been truly enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered to them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits say, uh, sin is a slave to sin. Understanding this, that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then also looking in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The truth removes all these ensnarements, all these things that weigh us down. Imagine yourself here, and, and take a moment and imagine a battlefield, because that is exactly what we're discussing. Imagine a battlefield, and there's, there's friends on your left, and there's friends on your right, and the, the enemy is ahead. 
And, and you have a moment because the enemy is still half mile away, but you see them and you know they're there. And you're preparing yourself because that's exactly what we're talking about. We're preparing ourselves because we don't know when he's going to attack. Are, is, is your belt adjusted? You know, are your shoelaces tied? You know, is, is your clothes halfway on? Everything is prepared. You're not going to be ready to run and then trip over your clothes. Everything is exactly as it ought to be, and it is held together. And there is nothing that holds us together like the truth. The truth makes us free to do what we can do and be who we ought to be. It holds us together, and it also helps us to overcome the troubles and, and the attacks of sin. Next, it calls us to look at the breastplate of righteousness. It says, having therefore girded your loins with truth, and that is what it's talking about, girded your loins, is not a common term these days, but having uh, prepared your, your clothing and everything that is about you with truth, having prepared yourself with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness will guard us like a breastplate. It will guard our vital organs. Doing what is right and good will guard our heart and our emotions. On one hand, can we really be righteous? We, we are told that, that our righteousness is sometimes viewed by God as, as, as rags when we try to present it as something that is something that can purchase good things. If we think that we can trade our righteousness for his favor, he looks upon our righteousness as, as dirty rags. It is not something that is, can be valued. Our righteousness is so small, we cannot buy things with our righteousness. The righteousness that we have, and uh, yes, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that true righteousness is something that we, we have by faith. True righteousness is, is a, a plate that is built upon uh, Christ and his goodness. Yet here it is calling us to strive for righteousness. It's not enough to say, I am in my position of grace, and now God has sent his son to die for me and shield me with his righteousness, and so I am done. Righteousness protects our heart. And I would say, really, the, the pursuit of righteousness protects our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. That is a simple enough thing, isn't it, that our heart is where our life is? We understand that physically, but do we understand that spiritually? Do we guard our heart? And... From this, the reading here, the way that he says to do that is to, to understand his word and put our trust in his word. But do we guard our heart or do we take the things of the world, the entertainments of the world, and put them into our, our eyes and our ears? Because where they land is our heart. And that is one way we can just let the world and the devil into our heart is just by consuming the things that are put before us that might be entertaining, that might be fascinating, that might be clever, that might make us feel wise, but really they are compromising who we are. 
And you understand this as well. When you live a, a, a life that is righteous, you open yourself up to less compromise. You open yourself up to less consequences. You, you make your life simpler by focusing on him, and by trying to live righteously. You just make your way a whole lot easier. Next, he calls us to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the Roman soldiers, they had sandals that weren't like the kind of sandals you would take to walk down the road. They were essentially cleats. They had um, metal spikes because they knew that the last thing that they wanted to do when they were exchanging blows with the enemy was to slip, was to, to, to lose their balance. It's crucial that our ability to stand be rooted and also that we choose our battleground, that we choose where we can stand as best that we can. And we do get to choose that. We get to choose where we stand. Psalm chapter 62 verse 6 says, He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I shall not be shaken. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it gets very much to the point of standing on the gospel of peace. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and this is Christ speaking, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. It stood firm. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the on the sand. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Brothers and sisters of Christ, let not it ever be said that great was our fall. Let us stand firm on the gospel. Let us stand firm on the word of God. Let us stand firm on these truths that God gave us through his son Jesus Christ let us stand firm on those things it's a beautiful thing to understand though that if we do slip we can be lifted up in Ecclesiastes it describes that when two walk together when one falls another one lifts him up and we also know first John chapter 1 verse 8 that says that if we sin that God desires earnestly for us to confess our sin to him so that he can wash that away. But let's not set ourselves up to fail. Let us stand firm on the gospel of the peace. Next, it talks about a shield of faith. In addition to all these things, this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, and these shoes of the gospel of peace in addition to all taking up the shield of faith which which you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one faith comes from the word of god romans chapter 10 verse 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god but i think that's where faith comes from and it's also where faith begins and it's also where faith renews that is where we need to go we also understand that when we see a successful defense against Satan, we see that with Christ, right? How did God, excuse me, how did Christ defend against the temptations of the devil? The devil used scripture against Christ, didn't he? To try to lure him away. He misquoted scriptures. He misapplied scriptures. And Christ, every time, used the word 
to repel Satan. He used the power of the word to deflect what he had to say. A strong conviction in God can protect us from every fiery dart that Satan can throw at us. Those things that we discussed, false doctrine, lust of the flesh, persecution, us thinking that we stand on our own good deeds and our good acts and merits. And also understand that at that time, and they would have understood very clearly that the Romans' success with a shield, it was a full-body shield, and that they would link with brothers and sisters in Christ. Excuse me, they would, they would link with their fellow soldiers, and they would build this wall. A wall of faith is what we can have if we're willing to link up with each other, if we're willing to say, I'm not alone, and I'm only guarding one side, but I can stand firm with my brothers and sisters, that we can fight together. If we put our hope and our trust in this, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and we unite on the word of God, it becomes a wall that the fiery darts will be extinguished instead of pulling us down. Then he says to take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is, is that salvation is, is like a helmet. It, it guards our mind. It guards uh, certainly a killing blow. But it's something that, that we need to, it's something that, that takes a focus, a remembrance. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in a similar reading, it says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. I like that understanding, that sal with salvation comes hope. Because there are days, and Ecclesiastes describes this beautifully, and there was a mention here of, of the evil days, that our days on this earth are full of joy and, and full of goodness and full of, of blessings. But ultimately, they are all corrupted. They are all flawed. They are all with death at the end of the road. They are all, no matter how good a day you have, there is the next day. There is disappointment. There is sadness. And I don't hope, mean to paint a terrible picture, but I want to say that all of those things can be overcome because of our salvation, because we have hope, because as Christians, we cannot be overcome by this world that we can put on the mind of Christ, that we can focus on what is above, and we can have hope. I would say that, that Christ himself exhibited all of these behaviors, all of these pieces of armor. Christ didn't overcome the devil and overcome the world just on sheer willpower, just on, on the greatness of who he was, because we, we read and understand that, that it was a challenge for him. We understand that he's able to advocate for us because he saw how hard it was. He didn't just blow through this life and, and, and say, well, you know, that, that was easy mode. It was a great challenge to him. And we see that he used the truth and he spoke the truth. He lived righteously and did not compromise. He spoke the gospel of peace and knew upon what she stood. He had full faith and full conviction. And he understood that he was bringing salvation, that he was bringing hope, and that he lived with hope of going back to his father and receiving the joyful gift of his struggle. If these tools were good enough for him, they're absolutely good enough for us. The last item that it mentions is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here is the offensive weapon that Christians must use in their battle. And it's like, well, you know, I, I'm not trying to destroy anything. You know, we, we, we understand, I'm not trying to be dangerous necessarily in our, our common understanding, but here 
if we understand what we're fighting against, we absolutely want to kill and destroy the, the enemy, the devil. Because if he doesn't take us, he might take our friend, he might take our enemy. Anything that we can strike down that is of the devil is good. But also imagine a soldier without a weapon. Okay, if, if you cannot present danger to the enemy, it doesn't matter how much armor you have. He will find a way through. But understand what, what the word of God and what the spirit, uh, the sword of the spirit is capable of. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, But the word of God is a living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and of marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So really, the first thing that we have to apply that sword to is, is ourselves and use it to make sure that we are free that the truth that sets us free, the truth of the word, is something that is able to divide and is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. So let's test our mind and test our heart against the word. And then having done that, we can use it to do great good. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now then they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The power of the word is the power to cut to the heart. And they responded by saying to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? We can apply that to ourselves. What shall I do? We can apply that to each other. Brothers and sisters, what shall you do? We can apply it to the world. We can cut to their heart and say, What shall we do? We shall come to God and we shall receive his gifts. The last element that, that Paul gives here, and it is not given a, a piece of armor or a tool, but it says, With all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, to be on alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. To be watchful. Be vigilant. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus taught that we must watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. There's no point in our Christian life when we wake up, when we go about our day, when we communicate with others, when we go to work, when we are entertained, when we share moments with our family, when we go to bed at night, there is no point at which we should not be aware and not be vigilant. That's part of why Paul says to pray without ceasing. Be in contact with God so that we can be free of being in contact with, with the devil. Watch and pray lest you enter temptation because the temptation is often described as a snare, something that is looking to trap you when you are not looking. And he's asked that we pray we be in contact for him and that we also be in supplication for the saints. Especially those with needs. Just as Paul here asked for the, the Ephesians to pray for him. So I would encourage you brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I know that I, I went through some of those scriptures fast. And I would love to, to give you some of those readings again. Especially since I didn't have them up above me. I'd love to discuss them with you. But as we leave today we need to understand that we as Christians are under attack, but we have been given what we need in order to stand firm. When we arm ourselves, when we take action with these qualities of truth, of righteousness, of the gospel, of faith, of hope in salvation, of the word of God, and, and, and with prayer, when, then we are able to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, which is an infinite thing. With this strength, we're able to resist and stand firm against anything that the Satan might throw against us. And we're also able to link arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, come along. 
We're able to lift them up when they stumble and, and to, to subvert the will of the evil one. He closed Ephesians chapter 6 by saying, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in all sincerity. Amen. So let's be awake, brothers and sisters. Let's be aware. Let's hold fast to the grace that we have been given. If you need to understand more about how to receive God's grace, how to receive the gift of salvation, we would love to tell you more about that. If you would like to link arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you would like to be lifted up, understanding that we can help each other, then we would love to hear more about that. And in all these things, we understand that we must surrender our mindset to God because he would help us along this way. If we can help you, then come forward now while we stand and sing this song.